Joanna Perry George is the CEO of Chalk Education, a global leading guide to the world of independent education, providing parents with carefully curated, ethical, and comprehensive advice on school choices. Before becoming a successful business founder, Joanna had a rather unusual career start as a theatrical agent, followed by a freelance writing practice, which opened many doors for her. Despite not having any formal business training, her unparalleled knowledge and passion for the education industry motivated her to stick with the roller coaster journey and work hard on an innovative product. In this episode, we talk not only about the changing world of education, but also about the importance of having more than one careers in a lifetime. As Joanna puts it, one was simply not enough for her. It's really important to get under the surface and to show parents really what they have. They're not just for elite people whose parents went there. They're not all incredibly expensive boarding schools. They're not all really sharp elbows in the centre of London where people have to sleep on the pavement to get their children registered. And I think people don't necessarily see that within the school. So we wanted to set up Talk Education to bust that myth. Joanna, good afternoon. Good morning, actually, rather, because you are in the US. How are you? Yeah. yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Yes, it is. It is a good morning. It's a freezing morning and there's the first snow on the ground, which is unusual for the middle of November. But yeah, I'm good. Um, I know that it took a little bit of time for us to manage to get a time and, and a date for this recording because you've been quite busy and you've been quite busy uh, launching in new markets and working on new products. So do you want to yeah. tell us um, what's been keeping you busy in the last few weeks? Uh, yes, we have just launched in Vietnam, which um, probably sounds more glamorous than it really is. But there are some really great international schools in Vietnam and many families looking for schools there and many families from Vietnam looking for schools in the UK. So, um, yeah, it's a really great market to open. So that's what's kept me really busy the past couple of weeks. Actually, I'm thinking, why don't we go back a little bit and maybe for the benefit of our listeners, I would be quite curious if you could tell us how you actually started your career, because I saw and I know from the friend that introduced us that you were a theatrical agent. And I must say, I know very little about this role outside of that very popular comedy show on Netflix um, that we've all seen, where the characters got into this crazy situation. So is that anywhere near the reality? Yeah, that is actually the reality. So I I don't say I've had a career. I say I've had careers I have had three I'd say three blocks of work over my life so far and I just had a big birthday at the weekend so I feel it's quite a Mm. milestone I'm definitely not at the end of this block of work but yes I started off um after university I went to train as a theatre director at a drama school um, for a year postgraduate and I mean, loved it, but quite soon realised that being a theatre director was not for me for a number of reasons. Um, one of the main reasons is there are no jobs. You have to create your own work. Mm. And that, at that stage of my life, I create my own work now, but at that stage of my life, that was too frightening and just didn't have that level of interest. So I started off working for a casting director for a year, maybe a year and a half, and casting directors get project get given projects um, we were casting a new series called The Profession- the New Professionals, which was a remake of The Professionals in the 70s. 
with Martin Shaw. And it was really fun. It was a great experience for me. Um, and at the, when that contract came to an end, as I said, I was probably with that um, company for a year and a half. And I realized I'd actually like to go and do the flip side of the coin. So casting director buys the clients, as it were, pick picks the actors and works with the director and the producer to pick the actors. The agent's the other side of the coin and represents the actors and has to get their actors sold. So in a way, that's a harder job. Um, but it's, it was a more, stru- it's a more structured business. In my day, there were a number of agencies. It was all rather lovely and old-fashioned and everyone was hanging out at Soho House and um, the Groucho. And it was kind of like that series. Um, mm. There were and there are bigger companies, slightly more corporate companies that were owned or affiliated to the big LA-based, New York-based agencies. But there were, and I think still are, many much more old-fashioned British agencies in sort of walk-up, you know, um, offices in Mayfair. And it was, it was, you know, drinking at lunchtime. And um, mm. it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work. I did it for about 10 years and I worked my way up. And I worked for a number of bosses, one brilliant one, one really not brilliant. But she had some incredible high-profile clients. And I probably won't, shouldn't say them because then you'd know who my boss was. Probably not. Were, mm. Sorry? Probably <laughs> not. Let's keep that a secret. But, but my clients were the top, the top British actors at the time. But mm. I mean, some of them still are, bar none. And so I learned a huge amount. But she was, well, I'm going to be careful. She she needed me. She needed my help. She needed my um, knowledge and my, uh, I was very interested in the contracts, the eight, the, the, the laws side of it, because British actors, as, as default, don't have their own lawyers, whereas the American actors, the lawyers do the contracts, and in England, the, the agents do the contracts. So I was very meticulous and organized and loved the contract bit, I was less interested in going for drinks after the theater every single night. Mm. But it was a, it was a great te- way to spend my 20s. It was very glamorous. Um, it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of personalities. I learned a lot. Mm. But there's lots of late nights, lots of phone calls to LA at midnight. Um, for me, it wasn't a world I wanted to continue when I started, when I had my first child. Mm. So it came to a screeching halt and I quit then and there. Slightly out of the blue, I didn't think I was going to. And I thought, no, I'm going to quit. And I just quit. I've never, yeah. I've never regretted that. Yeah, well, this is interesting because I often speak with other women and they often have these hesitations. Should I? Should I not? And you, it sounds like you were very clear. You, you decided and you never looked back. I don't, well, I don't know if I was clear, but I, I am naturally reticent. But I get to a point where I will battle be it. That I'll flip. I won't flip, but I'll... I'll cut it off. That's it. And I will walk out and I won't. Yeah, don't cross me. So I I just knew that that I yeah, that, that wasn't a world. So I hadn't planned it. I just thought, no, and I woke up and I thought, that's it. Um I've only made a few of those decisions a few times in my life, but I do know they're the right ones. But I don't know they're the right ones in advance necessarily. Yeah, this is quite interesting because I find that we often tend to have regrets or look back at things and hear you saying, well, I didn't know at the time. I just went with what felt right. And then that mm. turned out in retrospect to be the right I decision. I think life is too, yeah, no, it's a massive cliche, but life is definitely too short for regrets. If mm. it's not, you know, if it's not the right decision, then do something about it. 
go back, change it, do something different, but don't regret. Mm. And how did you know it was time to move on? Was it really just a, the kind of demands, balancing that with your personal yeah, life? It was, it was really having a baby. And I wasn't one of those mothers who sort of looked into the baby's eyes and thought, oh, I couldn't possibly leave it. It was more that going to work in that industry and those hours and those sorts of people doesn't match with having a family for me. The hours were too crazy. I was too high up to sort of sit back on my laurels and just work nine to five. You know, I had to, I had to go out every night. I had to represent my clients. I had some really great clients on the cusp of becoming hugely famous, two of which now are. Nothing to do with me. It's all to do with the people after me. But they were, and you, you know they were going to make it. They were very young. And I just thought, I'm just going to be doing the same thing for 30 years. There's nothing to learn here. The industry's not going anywhere. In fact, the industry's gone down since then. Money's tighter, COVID, everything. Netflix, you know. So, the in, you know, it was quite clear the writing was on the wall to a degree for that industry. Um, and I just knew there were better challenges out there. I knew I wanted to be with my kids for a while, and I knew there was more, I could do more in this life. Hmm. felt I'd done what I wanted to do was it, you took what you needed from it and it was time to move on to the next challenge and yeah. and how did you find out what that was did you have an idea already when you were leaving or is that something that became clearer um, no. once you finished I thought I wanted to set up my own business and obviously I had I had my son and then I had my two daughters a couple of years later and then a couple of years later I knew I wanted to be at home with them um so my son I don't think I did much for six months um, but I but I remember having endless conversations with my husband about what was I going to do? Was I going to import something, um, a product? You know, I to, went to product fairs. I'd met a family who had bought the rights to those micro scooters that kids, they were so popular when my kids were little, they probably still are, and they bought the rights to market them in India. So I just spent a few years thinking about what I wanted to do. But in the meantime, I started writing and I got various commissions to write mainly parenting features, book reviews, restaurant reviews. I'm not quite sure how it all started. Maybe just a friend asked me to. Um, and then that grew and I worked as a freelance writer for, yeah, from maybe when my son was six months old up until the time when I launched my business, which is sort of my third age, as it were. So I probably spent eight years on that and that writing as I said starting off with some restaurant reviews and book reviews and parenting um and sort of you know what to do in the half term that sort of stuff when you have very young children you're desperate to know what to do in half term you know holidays because it's hard it's lonely and you need to know you know and, and where to go and find Santa and where the fireworks are and all that sort of stuff and I was London based so all those yummy mummy magazines I did a lot of work for those um and then started the writing started to become much more school-based and so all of the writing eventually funneled into um what I'd like to say is an incredible knowledge of independent schools um and education from nurseries up to 18 so I just yeah visit a huge amount of schools and and write reviews about them and then started to advise parents on how to look for a school 
and what schools are best for them, um, which is a lot more complicated than it sounds. And that led me to meeting the contacts and the people that then I launched um, Talk Education with. But that was my freelance time, which was perfect because I could spend time Mm -hmm. with my kids, work when they were asleep. As they got older and went to nursery, you know, work a full morning, work nine till two while they're in nursery, and then take on more and more and more as I had more time. I've always worked. I've never, you know, I've been at home, been lucky to be at home with the kids, but I've always worked written from home. But this is interesting because I find that there could be many people listening to us right now and thinking, oh, you know, I'd quite like to be a freelance writer, but how does that work? How do I even get my first job? And and is there some need for a degree of realism that your first job is probably not going to be for a well-known magazine? It's probably going to be something very random. I am not the best person to ask because I'm not, I didn't go to journalism school. I'm not a trained writer. I've never worked for Condé Nast or any of the big magazines, but I think but I pulled it out of somewhere. And I think you just write for free and you write, you offer to write for free. There are a million opportunities there. I mean, you know, you're not going to get a nice gig reviewing a beautiful hotel on the Maldives straight away. And a lot of it you do for free. You go to a cafe, you write it for free. You take, you get mm-hmm. a free book, you write it for free. You get a free, there's a lot of freebies, free tickets to the ballet, free tickets to the pantomime. I'll write that. It's great when you've got kids. So I just did a lot of that. And it branched into an area of interest to me, which was schools. Yeah, and I, I was sitting there thinking about what you said, and you touched a little bit on it, that, that that wasn't necessarily something that you would do to make a lot of money quickly, which is definitely not how it works. But it did lead you to another opportunity. So in a way, it was worth the time, and it kind of paid off by yeah. connecting you with the people that you actually set up your next business with. But don't you think that's what life is like, that you put yourself out there and you meet, you know, you you meet, you make the opportunities as you go along. If you hadn't gone to that coffee morning, you wouldn't have met that mum who was launching that magazine who wanted you to do that. If I hadn't gone to, with a friend, I didn't want to do it, but I went with a friend who wanted to go into a talk on how to choose a school. And I was like, I know all this. I don't need to go. And I said, I said, okay, I'll come with you. I went and I met my future business partners. If I hadn't gone, I absolutely would not be sitting here now. So, you know, you've got to get out there and meet the people. And then life takes you in various directions and you grab it or you don't grab it or you miss it or you don't Mm. know you missed it. Maybe that's best. And you just you know, work hard as you go along and things happen. You make them happen. I was writing these reviews for other people, finding, having all this knowledge, um, working, had my own business advising clients on school. And I thought, well, this is great, but this is it. There's got to be more. There's got to be something more groundbreaking um, that I can do. So I, I had, I'd reached out to various people and I met my um, business partner, Alice Rose, at this event. She and um, her colleagues wanted to do something different. They wanted to do something really groundbreaking in, in our education world. Um, some, a business that really helped people, a business that changed attitudes about independent schools. Um, unfortunately, there are still many people and publications that see private schools as elite and scary and old-fashioned and insular and they can be but they absolutely don't have to be and we really wanted to do something different so 
I met her at a time when I was looking to do something bigger and exciting. She was launching this business. And I said, well, can I come and work for you? And she said, yes, you can come and run the parent advisory arm. And so we spent a year talking and meeting and she had investors and we were meeting um, other partners and potential partners and uh, researchers and writers and all sorts of people who would build this business. It was quite a slow, organic process. And then I approached her and her partner at the time um, and said, I don't want to just be an employee. I want to be a partner. And they made me pitch to them, and I did. And I came away thinking, well, that was dreadful. Um, she called me when I was in the car driving away, I think maybe an hour later, and she said, no, of course we want you to come. We need you. So that was fantastic. And from that minute, so there were three original partners. And from that moment, it just blossomed, and we all just fussed a gut to get this business off the ground. Um, and it was really... Yeah, it was really exciting. We put in a lot of hours over a lot of months developing the site. We we had a brilliant, and still do have a brilliant tech company we work with, and they've designed us bespoke architecture um, of the site that we have won a couple of big R&D awards for. Um, and we've got this great comparison tech with, with parent dashboards but look, I think for me, what was really interesting when I picked up on was your idea that you wanted to make access and information about these schools fairer and broader. And I think I'm probably one of those people that didn't go to one of those schools and is thinking, well, it's not for me. And, you know, why would I even be interested for my kids one day? And I think you're trying to change that. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Because I think that's very important. Yeah, these these independent schools in this country, well, across the world, are they're brilliant. They all have so much to offer in different ways, um, and some of them have much more support for special educational needs, or have much more financial aid support, or be far more sporty, or be super academic, um, or be high, you know, high intensity for kids who just buzz off a full timetable, or some are gentler. But they are all incredible schools, and they have so much to offer. But it's really important to get under the surface and to show parents really what they have. They're not just for elite people whose parents went there. They're not all incredibly expensive boarding schools. They're not all really sharp elbows in the centre of London where people have to sleep on the pavement to get their children registered. Um, they're not all schools that where people have to have tutors, kids have to be tutored to pass the exams. They, and I think people don't necessarily see that within the school there are many people with all you know families from all walks of life families who've, who have moved here from overseas and this is so alien to them families who've made you know never went to school it was never in their family background that they go to an independent school and now they are able to afford it or families who didn't think they could possibly afford it but there are incredible schemes um to support children who life-changing um bursaries or people who work four jobs, or the grandparents pay, or they saved forever and ever. I mean, I'm not saying it's not expensive. It is expensive, and it's, there's no you know easy means to get around that. But people are not all super wealthy and super ambitious and super bright. It's, it's, many people choose independent schools for many different reasons. 
So we wanted to set up Talk Education to bust that myth. So our site offers an insider review in our tone of voice, which is easy to read, but not fluffy. We're not interested in being a bit of fluff attached to a lifestyle site. We really are appealing to engaged parents. Um, then you can compare the schools so that we have tools in the text so you can look at if you're in you know if you want a school that does Russian A level but costs under a certain amount of money or a school that's within a half hour drive of London. Okay, yeah, I see. You can put in all those tools and have your dashboard, a parent dashboard, keep all your schools. And actually we've developed a, a really cool piece of kit where you can actually make notes on the computer, on the dashboard, so you can say visited this school, loved the head Mrs. Blah blah, wasn't sure about this xyz yeah can we check can we check so we you know that's um private to the we can't read that but it's private to the parent but it's a really good way of keeping a log of everything as well as just ticking your favorites and having a sort of you know john john lewis um basket in the corner um and more so so we really have worked hard to get to the point where we feel that what we offer is really genuine and ethical and shows the schools in their best light so, it's completely independent you don't get any uh, kickbacks or any encourage you know no one pays you to write about those schools no we no we write about we do the reviews they, they can't pay to be reviewed they can't pay to be on the site they can uh, they can subscribe to get an enhanced enhanced page so they can then showcase all of their rugby you know club or or whatever open days whatever it is but we will choose who we review and we will write it the way we want to. Obviously, we always fact check with the school that everything is correct and as it should be. Um, so we work really closely with, with schools. And we what we also really try, pride ourselves on doing is trying to unpick the whole education world for our parents because the British education system is quite complicated. You know, when, what's the 11 plus? Why am I signing it up for it when I'm seven? You know, why, what's the 7 plus and the 8 plus? Why do some schools go to 13? Why are some schools only feeding boarding schools? So we do a lot of work um, editorially on schools, how they work, you know, what the IB is, if what's happening to GCSEs, um, applications to American universities, um, is our apprenticeships rising? What about little kids? Are there assessments? How, how do you prepare your child for an assessment? So we work with a lot of partners, whether it's someone who has a parenting ex, you know, expertise or um, headmasters or um, mistresses or um, something to do with special educational needs. Yeah, it sounds like something that wasn't really available when you when you started and you wanted to do it differently. And I think that's probably because yeah. I was thinking, well, how does she go about just going, popping up in the school and saying, well, I really want to write about you. Um, you probably had to work hard to build that network and that credibility first. We, when we started this, we had all, our core team had all worked for various other listings guides or advisory companies or um, school guides for years. So some of us knew the school really well. So it's based a lot on relationships. But yes, they need to trust you. And we know our market. We know our parents literally like the back of our hand. We do a huge amount of research into what parents are looking for. The market's changing all the time. I think that's part of the feedback that you have to provide constantly between the schools and the 
in the mm. end customers if you if you will but i i know that you mentioned a couple of times when you said working hard um just that technology aspect as well and, and so i was w- wondering how important was technology actually for in addition to the networking and education that you were doing in research was that a key part of your success as well yes i think that we wanted to do something quite different with the tech i'm not from a tech background but the world is you know that's where we are now mm-hmm. and i think that we to design as i said when we started looking for our tech partners we wanted a company who wanted to grow with us and wanted to design something completely new that they'd never done before and we found a company who did that so it's been quite a quick learning curve but i mean i suppose it's probably obvious and i suppose most corporate people will have learned this much earlier on but i've only learned it in the past 10 years eight years it's really how to work with people and how to get the best out of people even when things go wrong and how to treat people i don't you know i don't want to treat people the way i don't want to be treated myself um but how to get that balance between treating people well and trying to get the work out it's my job to put them in a position where they can deliver their jobs as best possible and that's not always being authoritative it's quite often listening um and providing and saying what do you need and then getting them what they need um Oh, yes. And, and this is something that I did want to ask you about, because whenever we speak, you always speak very highly of your team and give them credit. But also, I get the impression that you feel that there is a big sense of responsibility weighing on your shoulders about this whole team and these people that you employ. And that's probably one of the biggest challenges about launching your own business and leading that. Yeah. you And you've got to you're providing them with a livelihood. You've got to keep them happy. You've also, you're kind of expecting them to work above and beyond because it's a startup business. I'm sure whatever industry you're in, startups, everyone's working for less money than they might earn elsewhere because they're doing it for other reasons and the benefits of working for startups. We're a real team. We have our ups and downs, but it's definitely a team and I couldn't do it without yeah, and I think that vulnerability is very important. That there are days when you question what you're doing, you find some tasks less exciting than others, and you can't escape that. No matter how much you love the business, even if it's your own, there's never a hundred percent exciting every day is blue skies kind of role. Oh God, no! No, it's ninety mm-hmm. percent mundane. Of you know mundane tasks and i think that's why it's so important to acknowledge that because i think in a world of social media where everything is always presented from a certain angle nobody's really talking about how they might be feeling underneath the shiny packaging nobody does and the men definitely don't and i don't think they know any more than we do but they just would never dream of showing any vulnerability well the ones i know anyway but I think you just I think you just keep going. You know if you've got a good product, you know if you've got a good vision, you know if you've got a good team, and you know if you're prepared to work hard. And then you just do it, I mm. guess. Um, but it's no more I don't know if there's any more mystery or glamour than that. It's just and I think what's so important to the founder. Well, I think there's two unbelievably important things that I've learned. And one is 
is just the level of work. And by that, I don't mean, you know, exciting meetings with investors and seeing, pro- you know, seeing things coming to market. We spent, Alice and I spent month and month going through spreadsheets, literally giving ourselves headaches with almost magnifying glasses. I remember saying to my husband, we designed a kitchen years ago, and I had all these kitchen designers come in, and I expected them to go, oh, wonderful. What about we put this there and that there and this fit into the?" They didn't do that at all. They just said, what exactly do you want, and drew it. And I thought, well, I could have done that. that You have to decide what you want and do it and tell the professional what you want. Yeah. And then the professional will do it, but you can't expect them to read your mind and to do what you want. You have to. One of the tech guys we work with is brilliant, John, and he said to me once, "Talk to me as if I'm a little yellow rubber duck on your desk. Spell it out to me like that. Not because he's stupid, because he's not. He's brilliant, but because that's the way that we alleviate any miscommunication." And I, that was a huge learning curve. So that for the work mm. level. In absolutely mundane, paper-pushing jobs when building a business is immense. And if you're not prepared to do that, and we've had some people along the way who haven't been prepared to do that, forget it. If you're not prepared to literally make the tea, metaphorically and literally, and do the copying and do everything with a tight, you know, the level of detail, then I don't know if you're cut out to found a business. It's not... Yeah. In an arm, in a desk, being glamorous and shouting at people, and and getting certainly not at the beginning. Yeah, no. Even now, you know, somebody will say, "Oh, can you change this page around?" And I will do it. You know, because it's if I have two minutes and I'll do it, then I can free up someone else, one of my admin people, to get on with other stuff which needs doing. I don't want to work with anyone who's not prepared to metaphorically make the two. Be ready to roll up your sleeves and get yeah. down in the mud from yeah. the work all yeah. the way up. So that was the one, that was the biggest thing I've learned about running a business. And the second thing I think is to listen. And by that, I mean, well, I do mean listen. I mean, you've got to get the best people around you and use them. And again, if you can't do that, well, for me, I, 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 I think that is, if if they succeed, you succeed. If, if they succeed, the company succeeds, and it all works together. You mentioned about um, how businesses could evolve, and obviously, you've done this for almost ten years now. What what's next for 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 this business, and where do you hope it takes you? Um, well, uh, definitely, I'm sticking with it. So, so I haven't done talk education for ten years. We launched. We officially launched three and three and a half years ago, mm. but we so the tech was probably involved for maybe three or three years before that on the tech. So, yeah, not we're not hitting the ten year mark yet, but mm. um, no, we have a long way to go with this business. It's really exciting. We're now global. Um, I said we launched Vietnam. We've got about ten global territories. Um, I've been having some exciting meetings with American schools here. We have a long way to go. I mean, we really. We are we are working really hard to, you know, quite rightly, I think, have our place as sort of the leading global, world's leading global guide. But we, you know, there's so much more we want to do within that. We're working on 
more finance pages and more beyond school pages. There's lot. There's a long way to go for us to be really of the top value we can be for parents. Um, after that, I don't know. What's the next chapter? That's what I was going to ask you because you did mention at the beginning that you believe that you know people should have many careers and one is not enough for you. So I, I hope that I don't have one. I hope that this you know lasts me another twenty years and um, I leave it in someone's hand and it develops, it grows into you know a bigger thing that encompasses maybe universities and maybe the technology has been built up that it can be used for other sort of comparison mm -hmm. whether that be spa hotels or old people's homes or whatever anything that that needs a, compa a concrete comparison but also a insight a review from someone who knows what they're talking about um well, i mean that sounds a bit trite but mm. you know change is a very very small part of the world um i would still i think we've got a long way i've got some exciting ideas my team's got some exciting ideas my um, other inve my investors have got some exciting ideas so I think there's quite a long way for us to go on this mm. well that's actually probably a good way to think about it and just let the opportunities come to you and, and use this all the learning that you you are doing now but I you didn't mention that you really want to help people um, so I was wondering is that really what motivates you and keeps you going I think maybe helps the wrong word I want to do something different and memorable and where we do this, where we found a, a hole in the market, as it were, for, for real knowledge. What I, I guess what I want to do with, with what we do now is put the world to rights, put our tiny corner of the world to rights and bust the myths. <laughs> Well, I think you've definitely done that. And I, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to tell us about your career journey. I think there's some great value in, in being vulnerable and honest and talking openly about the challenges. Because as we said today, we, we nearly don't do enough of this, especially as women. And sometimes we can be our hardest critics. And I think it's just important to remember that that's just how it is. And I really wanted to thank you for painting a realistic picture of what it means to be a business founder. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So there you have it. Why limit yourself to one career when you can have as many as you like? And much like Joanna, continuously reinvent yourself. Next time on The Sound of Breaking Glass, we have serial entrepreneur Laura Solomon, who shares how her own fertility journey inspired her to set up Hoopsie, an eco-friendly, plastic-free, pregnancy test brand. Thank you so much for listening to The Sound of Breaking Glass. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to follow us on your podcast app, tell a friend about us, or check us out on LinkedIn. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. It's been a real pleasure. Till next time.